Hello, can you hear me? Okay, I'm going to ask somebody to move this because this is going to be very disconcerting to me while I talk. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, I'm going to pray because for some reason I'm really nervous. And um, Father, I am just incredibly thankful that um, you have used my life to tell your story. And I pray that... um, you would minister to those that are here, and I just pray that they would hear who you are and they would understand what the steps can do for them as they've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Hello. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm in recovery for drug addiction, anger, and codependency. My name is Tracy. I came into the rooms of recovery as a victim. In my own mind, sorry guys, oh there we go, that was easier than I thought it would be. So I'm going to start over, not all the way over, just that sentence. Um, I came into the rooms of recovery as a victim. In my own mind, I was a victim of my parents, my brothers, and other men, and I thought of God. Even though all the events that made me feel that way happened decades earlier, I remained trapped in a mindset that said I was a victim. And because I was a victim, I was entitled to whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted it. This way of thinking was the cause of my anger and codependency and my need for constant control over everything and everyone in my life. I was born and raised in New York with both my parents, two older brothers, and one younger sister. I learned very early in life that people are unpredictable. My mom was a functioning alcoholic and had an untreated but very real mental illness. For some reason, my oldest brother and I were her targets when she became angry. When I was 10, My brother, at the age of 17, left home and never came home to live again. As a result, I became my mom's only target when her anger erupted around the house. I never knew if something I did would incite that anger or if my mom would just respond with indifference. I lived in a constant state of uncertainty, never sure if she would retaliate against me physically or ignore me altogether. I tried my whole life to please my mom, to make her love me, but that never happened. At least I never felt that way. This uncertainty caused me to question all my relationships. So I reverted to codependency. I would always wait to see what other people liked, and I would like that too. Or I would overhelp others not for the sake of helping, but to gain approval and to be liked. This made me feel like I could control the people around me, but helping in this way built a lot of resentments in me that always turned into anger and frustration. The anger and frustration often manifested itself in fits of rage. My dad was a hard man to understand. I knew he loved me, and I idolized him when I was little. 
but he was verbally abusive, making fun of my body and my emotions. This was always confusing to me as a child. If he loved me, why did he make fun of me? And why did he discount the way I felt and the things that I said? I believed he expected perfection from me, which I was unable to deliver as much as I tried. When I was older and my parents divorced, my dad told my siblings and I he had a new life and we weren't part of it. I was in my early 20s when this happened, but it was still crushing to me and reinforced my belief that people and relationships are unpredictable, especially when the relationships are very close. My brothers both molested me and neither knew what the other had done. So I thought for a long time that the molestation was my fault. One brother would chase me around the house, yelling, swearing, and threatening me at the top of his lungs. This same brother also rolled me in a blanket and held me there for long periods of time until I thought I would die. I lived in fear and had a lot of anxiety. As a result of these relationships in my family, I was a little girl who saw the need to control as much of my world as I could by staying in the background as much as possible, trying to guess what other people wanted, doing what I thought that might be, and by being angry. I also chose to numb my pain by first drinking and then doing drugs. I got drunk for the first time around the age of nine when I, was, uh, when I, when I would sneak sips of booze from my parents' glasses and discovered that alcohol had a marvelous numbing effect. I drank only sporadically at first, but by the age of 12, I was drinking regularly and smoking pot. Other more serious drugs soon followed until at the age of 18, I was at a place where I wanted to quit, but I was unable to stop. My mom threatened that if she found out I was doing drugs, she would put me in a mental hospital. So I didn't feel I could tell anyone what I was struggling with. For 18 months, I tried to quit doing drugs, but I couldn't do it. My best friend was killed during this time, and instead of quitting, I spiraled more deeply into my addiction. At the end of the 18 months, I met two women who told me about Jesus, and one invited me to a Bible study in my neighborhood. I went, getting high on the way, and found week after week women who loved and cared for me and accepted me right where I was. I was, I was eventually invited to church and decided to give it a try. That night in July of 1982, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My birthday was one week later, and I went with a good friend to celebrate. We smoked pot, and I knew, because the desires of my heart had changed, that after eight years of drug use, it was time to quit, and I did. I no longer drank or did drugs, but I hadn't addressed all my false beliefs, my codependency, or my anger. I was 
what they call a dry drunk, and I remained that way for 25 years, exchanging illegal addictions for socially acceptable ones. After becoming a believer, I, I became involved in the church, reading my Bible, going to Bible studies, and volunteering every chance I got. This sounds wonderful, but because of the belief system I acquired as a young girl, I did many of these things to gain approval from those around me and from God. I thought if I did all the right things, God would continue to love me. With all my Bible knowledge, I still did not understand that God loved me unconditionally and would never abandon me like my father or abuse me like my mom. Given my false beliefs, I ended up becoming a rule follower and judge, jury, and executioner of anyone else that didn't follow the rules or behave the way I thought they should. Granted, this mostly took place in my head, which is stinking thinking, but it seriously damaged my relationships, and I expect prevented many friendships from ever forming. Even though I knew Christ and followed him, I was not surrendered to him. I needed recovery. I just didn't know it yet. In 1990, God led me to California and Big Valley Grace Community Church. I met my husband, Vern, here, and we had a baby girl in July of 1994. Her name was Victoria, and she looked like any other baby, but she was very sick. She was airlifted to UCSF and had heart surgery, heart surgery shortly after her arrival. I stayed with her for 77 days. I prayed, I had her anointed with oil, and I read my Bible, hoping God would see me and save my daughter. But as it says in Isaiah 55, 8, his ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts higher than my thoughts. And on, and on, on October 2nd, she went home to be with Jesus. Was God like everyone else that was close to me? Did he just betray me? even though I thought I did all the right things. These were my thoughts at the time, but I stuffed them down because I thought a good Christian wouldn't speak those words to God. So I continued on with life, asking God for one thing. Please don't take my husband. Nine months later, our son Ethan was born, and I left all those thoughts of my daughter and God behind to be a full-time mom. The, pre the big problem was stuffing all those emotions and resentments. They created a root of bitterness that deepened inside me. Jeremiah 6.14 says, You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. I now not only carried all the wounds from my childhood, but those that were caused by the loss of my daughter and the three miscarriages I had after Ethan was born. I had, to, I had no control over any of these things, and I needed, to con I needed control to feel safe. At least I thought I did. And losing that control made me angry. Angry at my son for not behaving exactly how I wanted him to. Angry at anyone that didn't meet my internal standards. And angry at myself. The codependency made me feel the need to control my life. And when I felt out of control, my anger increased and, often act, and I often acted out in that anger. 
When Ethan was 10, my husband was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. There's no cure for this illness, and I was thrown into the unimaginable role of watching another member of my family die right before my eyes. While Vern was sick, I relied on God to support me, hoping against hope that he would heal him. But after he died, a slow bitterness started to creep into my already bitter life. I asked God one thing after my daughter died. Please don't take my husband. But he did, and I felt betrayed again. This was clearly God's choice. He alone has the power to give life and to take life. But again, Isaiah 5.8 says, His ways are not my ways, and his thoughts are not my thoughts. By this time, I didn't just need recovery. I I desperately needed it for many reasons. My codependency was fueling my need for control, and my need for control was fueling my anger. I still felt like a victim, which meant I still had an entitlement mindset. And that just added to all the sick, untrue, broken thoughts that were rolling around in my head. Celebrate Recovery was a thing at Big Valley Grace by this time and had been for several years. I heard about it in church, at retreats, and at women's ministries events, and finally decided to give it a shot. Although I really didn't know what I was getting into or how radically it would change my life, I had no idea what recovery was. I started with a step study because it felt more comfortable to me. And during introductions, I thought, I don't have a clue why I'm here. Week after week, I thought the same thing, and it would be a long time before I figured it all out. But I stuck with it, believing there was a miracle just around the corner. I finally started to go to large group on Tuesday nights, where I heard teaching and learned how to share in a safe, grace-based group, but did, not go to op- but did not go to open share right away. This was unfortunate because I would later learn small group on Tuesday night was a vital part of my recovery process. When I attended small group, I realized I wasn't alone. There, was a lot of ang- there are a lot of angry codependents out there. <laughs> this is also where I formed close relationships and started to find an accountability team and eventually a sponsor. Proverbs 11:14 says, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. I was able to share my past abuses, my codependent tendencies, and my angry outbursts without the fear of judgment, and I could speak, say my peace, and be left alone. No helpful hints, or lists of suggested reading materials followed my time of sharing. I could even say I was angry at God without retribution. This is also where I I heard the slogan, keep coming back, it works if you work it, so worth it because you're worth it. I thought it was silly to hold hands and chant that recovery slogan, but that's because I, I didn't believe I was worth it. I was, however, still willing to work the steps and practice these principles in all my affairs. So here I was, one step study down, and I wondered why I didn't experience my miracle yet. I still had an entitlement mindset, but I did did the work. 
Why didn't God come through? I was still so angry and bitter at God, those who abused me and myself, and I really wasn't surrendered to God because I did not yet trust him. I still decided to keep coming back, though, because I could see the experience, strength, and hope in those around me. Slowly, God was healing the wounds that kept me bound in unforgiveness, anger, fear, and bitterness. All these feelings fueled my codependency and my need for control. He started healing me because as I finally surrendered to the process and worked this simple program step by step, one day at a time, one moment at a time, I learned to accept hardship as a pathway to peace and to take this world as it is, not as I would have it. Each year, I have learned more about his love and care for me, and I have come to believe that he does love me, and I will continue to work it because I am worth it. Psalm 3.3 says, Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. He has healed me so well that I now have safe and healthy relationships with each one of my siblings because practicing the steps has given me the ability to forgive. My relationship with my dad was also restored several years before he passed away in May of 2018. In November of 2019, I was still having a hard time surrendering to God. I still wanted and needed that control. I was having a hard time fully trusting God, even after all the healing I had received. I was in a new job, and I was given an impossible situation to deal with. This, the pressure that brought into my life was very great. I began to experience anxiety, and I was uncertain of my future. My tendency, because of my control issues, was to jump in and find another job, not to wait for God's direction. I happened to be in a step study at this time and was given a challenge by my sponsor. She told me, don't do anything. Oh my gosh, that was so hard. Surrender and wait until you hear God's voice. The problem was, I wasn't confident that I could let go and let God. After several talks with my sponsor, I felt I had a better understanding of surrender. So I started, so I started my day saying to God, I am not in control, you are. I don't know what's best for me, you do. As I did, as I did that daily, my, anxi my anxiety started to lessen and I actually began to feel peace and joy. My circumstances didn't change. My stance before God changed. I finally let go of my need for control, and by doing that, I began to see God work, and out of that grew trust for him. This all happened while I was working the third step in my six-step study. The, the third step says we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. It took me 12 years of giving up control a little bit at a time, but I was finally able to surrender completely to God. I learned how vital the step three is to the recovery process, and I am so thankful God allowed me 
the time and process to finally let go and let him. When my new husband, Randall, and I were married in 2015, I mistakenly thought that because we were both in recovery, it would be a simple life transition. I quickly learned that expectation was unrealistic and very wrong. I, find, I found myself feeling crazy and confused about the many conflicts that arose as soon as the day we returned home from our honeymoon. This past spring, I came face to face with the reality that if, some, that if something didn't change, the rest of my life would be very unhappy. My sponsor has always encouraged me to go to extra meetings during the week, especially since I serve here on Tuesday night. So I finally committed to 90 meetings in 90 days. I am currently on day 85, and on many of and on many of these days, have gone to two meetings, along with listening to recovery podcasts. These meetings have changed my life, and I realized that I was no longer just doing recovery once a week, but recovery was coming part was becoming part of the fabric of my life. I daily hear slogans such as, first things first, how, is, how important is it, and I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I can't cure it. I have learned to stop trying to manage, manipulate, or mother those around me. I have also heard experience, strength, and hope from many in recovery on a daily basis. I learned all these truths here on Tuesday night, but because of my daily attendance, these tools have been internalized and much easier to apply to my life on a moment-by-moment basis. As a result, I am learning to respond instead of quickly reacting when the stresses of life hit. I know what is mine to own and what is not. I am actually joyful for the first time in a long time and no longer feel the need to control the life of everyone around me. Finally, I now have a new favorite step. Although all the steps are important, at this time in my life, that third step, which says again we made a decision to turn our wills and our lives over to the care of God, is the most valuable to me because because through surrender, I once again walk in the joy and peace that God so freely gives through his Holy Spirit. I am no longer bitter. My anger is under control most of the time. I had a slip last night, so I just had to say that. Um, (laughs) uh, Because of the tools I have um, acquired in the rooms of recovery, and while I will always be codependent, I am learning how to let God take care of others. The 10th step is also very important because keeping short accounts, asking for forgiveness, and extending forgiveness in a timely manner keeps me right with God and others and prevents another root of bitterness from growing in me. If you are a newcomer, please continue to come to recovery. Walking through these doors has changed my life in such a significant way. I have found a forever family here, and I now have a relationship with my birth family. I came in 
with a heavy load, and I am now free from the load, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. We need the, you newcomers here, and we want you to be a part of this family. I carry out the 12th step by serving in CR, and I am, a, and I am so proud to serve God in this way. I've led several step studies. I am a training coach on the TEAM, and I facilitate in the anger group. I also sponsor several women who bless me and enrich my life. I am so thankful to my sponsor and my accountability team. Thank you for walking this road with me, supporting me every step of the way. And thank you, Randall, for your commitment to continue working your recovery as well. To God, I say thank you. Thank you for loving me when I wasn't sure of your motives. Thank you that you set this captive free. Thank you for being trustworthy. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. You know what? There's more to that verse. You're going to have to look it up because my printer stopped working right there. So thank you very much. <laughs>